Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact, their inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Paul Zelizer. Paul is one of the first business and marketing coaches to focus on the needs of wisdompreneurs, people who have a business that is based on the principles of wisdom and spirituality. Paul runs a global coaching practice supporting conscious entrepreneurs in growing their businesses to the next level while staying true to their deepest integrity. He also works with leaders to help them increase the transformational impact that they have in their organizations and in the world. In 2013, he co-founded Wisdompreneurs because he saw the need for more entrepreneurial skills among transformational leaders and easy to implement mindfulness and emotional intelligence practices in the entrepreneurial world. Today, he is the CEO and Chief Weirdness Officer of Wisdompreneurs. I'm sure we'll hear more about that. And in addition to conscious entrepreneurship, Paul is passionate about just about anything you can do in the mountain high country. Power yoga, dark chocolate, sustainable living, ecstatic poetry, and deep centering breaths. He lives in a solar adobe home in the mountains near Santa Fe, New Mexico. So welcome, Paul. I'm so delighted to have you here on the podcast. Oh, what an honor to be here, Ursula. What a beautiful space you've created in this podcast. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad to be able to talk with you because I think this is going to be of such great interest for uh, the listeners. And you've created both uh, a company and this phenomenal group of transformational leaders called Wisdompreneurs. Tell us uh, about what you're doing now and what is it that drew you to create your particular business in particular? Mm, thanks, Ursula. Yeah, like you said, I have two different kind of major threads in my life with a lot of overlap in my work life. My my background is <clears throat> I knew early on that I wanted to be of service and have um, a helpful impact on planet Earth. I grew up in Westchester County, which is a suburb of New York City, and I was surrounded, you know, when I was young, my dad was a accountant at a cigarette company. This was in the 70s when we knew that cigarette companies were hiding data that cigarettes cause uh, cancer. And I, I was surrounded by people who worked in, in situations where they didn't feel aligned with their deepest values, but they were felt like they needed to do certain things for money. And that tension really was poignant for me. I mean, I could feel it as early as I can remember. So work was this thing you did to like earn money. And in Westchester County, you know, it's a, it's a very privileged place. People um, put their values aside. And I knew really young that I didn't want to do that. And so I trained in counseling psychology, but it was a particular kind of counseling psychology. Uh, I was at Lesley University in Cambridge. 
And we were 12 miles down the road from John Kabat-Zinn, the founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction. Mm -hmm. In many ways, the creator or, or the, the, the publicist for what, you know, in 2014, Time Magazine called the Mindful Revolution, right? And now we have Google offering mindfulness and emotional intelligence <laughs> to 26,000-plus employees. I, I can go on and on and it's on. Amazing. And on. It's a different yeah. error these days, yeah. right? But I knew back then that I couldn't do the pathway that was being laid out for me as the oldest son of a Jewish accountant in that environment, <laughs> right? And I went into this field that was about consciousness and awakening and mindfulness and emotional intelligence. You know, I, I started grad school at 19, and I've really never done anything else. But I came out of grad school, and it was before the mindful revolution had sort of hit, and it wasn't the sync up between these practices of understanding emotional intelligence in business and understanding how the desire to have deep meaning and purpose in our work was less prevalent when I was starting my career. So I came out of grad school and I had a counseling degree. So I went into I went into community mental health because that's what I was trained for, right? Mm -hmm. And did some good work, moved out here in New Mexico in 1993 and did some incredible work on the Pueblos and Native American reservations and in the small Hispanic villages on the border, Colorado, New Mexico border. Had incredible experiences. But after about 15 years of that, I was pretty tired. Addiction and trauma and violence and child abuse. I was tired. You know? yeah. And I needed to reinvent myself. And I was uh, hanging out with a guy named Soren Gordhammer, who uh, also needed to reinvent himself. Yeah, Soren's now the founder of a conference called Wisdom 2.0. It's a little conference. There were about only 3,000 people there last month, um, the eighth year of this conference. And, and we were both wisdom guys. He was really good friends with John Kabat-Zinn's son, and I had studied with many of John Kabat-Zinn's earliest um, students. And we were both sort of coming back to our roots in the mindfulness and awareness and emotional intelligence world, but we both wanted to find a way to be more of impact and have more uh, support, not just, he was also what my dad called a wisdom do-gooder. <laughs> we were both <laughs> wisdom do-gooders, right? So we did really good work, but we, you know, we were on the fringes of doing nonprofit work and working with youth, and, and those projects tend to be underfunded and, you know, pretty stressful. And so I, I got really interested, Soren got really interested in the intersection of mindfulness and technology. I was really interested in this whole piece around wisdom and entrepreneurship. What happens if we didn't wait until, you know, Google had like 40,000 employees before they said, you know, maybe we should start teaching our employees about values and mindfulness and emotional intelligence. And, you know, have started to remake their culture after they were this massive business. And I was like, what if we didn't wait? What if we started to mentor the next generation of entrepreneurs about values and having deep social impact and creating mindful cultures and the role, the research that we now know about emotional intelligence and how incredibly important it is to the success in business. And again, the research of that is just blowing up, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. And what if I went right into the heart of that conversation? And that was about nine years ago, and that's the work that I do now, both in my own business, helping people who have wisdom or awareness or conscious business as the roots of their business think about their marketing and their business story and things like that. And then in creating this network of wisdompreneurs, we just hit 14,000 people plus today. Yeah, I saw so, that on Facebook. That's great. Congratulations. It's amazing. Yeah. So those are the two threads of my work these days. 
That's great. Well, you said so much there that is resonant with me, Paul, and what I believe about this work of, of impact as well. I, I love how you started off talking about the tension between work that people are doing and their values. And that was so much my own corporate experience early on in my career. So, and it's, it's not something that we have to choose for our work setting. So to be entrepreneurs and to be able to create our own company culture and environment and really blend that approach of what is it that we can offer in the world and what kind of contribution can we make, it's such an empowering approach to work. It's a really exciting time. I think there's never been a better time in the history of planet Earth to be interested and to um, step into the realm of conscious business or conscious entrepreneurship or whatever you want to call it. We were talking about Catherine Bell before we turned on the recording or so that she wrote a book called The Awakened Company. This whole space is blowing up, right? It, it, was, a, it was an early, and I've just been really blessed, really just, just luck, really, of being on the early adaption of that wave and got on Twitter in 2007, 2008, started like tweeting back and forth with Tony Shea, who's a huge proponent, you know, CEO of Zappos, huge mm -hmm. proponent of positive psychology and business and creating mindful cultures and just have had this amazing journey over the past nine years of watching the space come alive. And I would say there's a global movement, not that it's formal, not that it's under anyone's brand. There's lots of different brands that are exploring this, but the interest in, it's like we're waking up at work and the awareness that in a modern economy, we spend the majority of our waking hours at work, right? I love my daughter. I have a 15-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. I work more than I spend time with my daughter. You know, we just went out to dinner last night, right? But, like, I spend time with her, but I work more than I spend time with my daughter. I have incredible friends. I love doing yoga and fitness things, but I work more than any one of those things, mm -hmm. right? And I work less than the average professional in the United States. Mm -hmm. So what was happening for me is I was like coming back to my roots in the awareness world and all, everything I had studied. It was a beautiful program, my graduate program. It was the best educational experience in my life. And as I was coming back to those roots and feeling like, what does the next iteration of my work world want to be and how do I have more impact? I had this awareness that the wisdom teachers tell us that the single most powerful resource we have as human beings is our attention. Hmm. Mm -hmm. single most powerful resource we have as human beings is our attention. That's what mindfulness is about and meditation is about and yoga is about, right? All these practices are about paying attention to what we're doing with our attention. Right? And I, it just like, it was so obvious, but duh, we spend most of our waking hours at work. <laughs> That's where the <laughs> highest concentration of attention is, right? right? What right. if I step into that conversation? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and it's, um, I mean, that idea of um, the way that this is, has become kind of a mainstream way of talking and thinking about work, I mean, attention is going to that now of these aspects of mindfulness and bringing your own kind of wisdom into work has become really a major way of approaching work and not just in the entrepreneurial world, which I find quite exciting that it's, it's reached larger organizations to some degree as well. Although I know there's a way to go there, but is that been your experience too, that you're seeing that more and more? 
absolutely, Ursula. You can feel it. You know, this this conference that I'm mentioning that happened last month in San Francisco, Wisdom 2.0. You know, eight years ago, Wisdom 2.0 was just getting started. There were 200 people at the first conference. It was really exciting to be there. And here we are eight years later, there are 3,000 people there. Mm -hmm. And the speakers are, you know, the CEO of LinkedIn and the co-founders of Twitter. Right. And it's happening. It's such, you know, Google and uh, at, at um, Davos, World Economic Forum, they introduced mindfulness uh, sessions at Davos uh, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And they had to lock the doors in terms, they, they introduced just a couple of them. They were really nervous about it. It felt really edgy. And so many people were interested because there's so much research about the benefits of these approaches in business. They had to lock the doors and turn people away. And last year, it was <laughs> one of the three, they have three primary focuses every year at Davos World Economic Forum. And last year, it was mindfulness was, and creating mindful cultures was one of the um, primary focuses of the conference. And they had like tons of mindfulness programs and they still had to lock the door and turn people away, <laughs> right? So in this Davos World Economic Forum, right? So from, from being a very kind of like edgy, emergent, very sort of not easy to find places to have these conversations six or seven or eight years ago to Google and LinkedIn and Ford Motor Company and Ariana Huffington and Davos World Economic Forum in six or seven years and we're not done yet this mm -hmm. is, it feels like it's just really getting traction in yeah i agree and i as you know i was at wisdom 2.0 the conference as well and what amazed me was the intersection between these multi-billion dollar valuation tech companies and the the very strong interest in mindfulness so it's it's really entering in as much more of a not not so much a focus on social enterprises or a particular quirk, quote unquote, of, of the leader of a company. It's really become much more of a mainstream practice and it's entering into the vocabulary of so many people at every level of the organization, which is great. Absolutely. And a lot of that is due to the research. Mm -hmm. What's happened over the past 30 years, you know, back in 1989, when I started grad school, I'm dating myself here. So, <laughs> um, you know, we had a lot of research or there was there was a there was a growing amount of research about wellness practices and mindfulness and other awareness practices for physical health, reduce your blood pressure. Uh, increase, you know, de decrease insomnia and, and in increase the quality of your sleep, um, increase the uh, your immune system functioning, and so you get sick less. We knew that even back in 1989, but we didn't have anybody who was studying it in any sort of scientific way in terms of the business results, right? And now we have folks like Google. You know, Google, they're pretty smart at Google. They crunch numbers really well at Google. <laughs> right. They didn't run 26,000 employees through a program without crunching some numbers. Right. And the numbers are remarkable, right? That's the piece that has changed in the past 10, 15 years where the research that's coming out is impeccable in terms of the quality and jaw-dropping in terms of the results. Mm -hmm. Well, is that part of what makes your business unique do you think this focus on mindfulness and and pulling in the research and really drawing on that as a as a source of both motivation for bringing that into your into the businesses and also how it's implemented is that part of the unique mm -hmm. aspect of what you do 
it, it's certainly one of my strengths. And early on, you know, I, I was trained, like I said, it was one of the best educational experiences in my life. And being at Lesley University, you know, we had John Kabat-Zinn in one direction, 12 miles. The uh, Harvard uh, Laboratory of Dr. Herbert Benson, he wrote a book called The Relaxation Response. Again, very well-researched, very thoughtful uh, individual at Harvard, researching in a very uh, sophisticated way. What were some, in his case, he was, again, looking more at the health benefits. And then across the river at MIT was uh, Joan Borisenko, who was looking at wellness and mindfulness uh, in terms of women's behavioral health, mm -hmm. right? So it was a hotbed, and I was in the Boston area in the very late 80s and early 90s, and it was a hotbed of very well-researched uh, awareness practices and what the results were. And that was what my, I didn't do the research, but I was trained as a clinician to understand the research and what best practices were, not from theory or not from like getting a, a digest, a reader's digest version, but by understanding the research and getting to actually meet some of the people who were doing it and talking to the people who were on the leading edge of applying it in clinical settings. And that was back in 1989. So I came into the space not as another like Me Too kind of mindfulness brand, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, you know, uh, but really with a deep passion for and an understanding of the neuroscience you know i like to joke i'm a neuro geek right and <laughs> um i really am fascinated by the human nervous system and i come into this conversation teaching my clients things like the most powerful technology on planet earth is optimized human nervous system mm -hmm. and we work in a world that is so focused this is how ming at Google, this is what he said to his employers at Google, we're a technology company, but we're always looking outside ourselves for more productivity, higher profits, um, and better optimization of the resources at hand. And he said, let me show you some of the research on what some of these practices do in terms of productivity, profits, etc. And he went to his employers and said, here's the research, his book called Search Inside Yourself, which is the name of the program at Google now. The first two chapters are the research to use to get his employers to agree to a pilot test. And, um, and he said, we'll study it. Let's see if this works at Google and not always just be focusing on faster algorithms or better servers, but let's talk about optimizing the nervous systems of the human beings mm -hmm. who work in the company. And the rest has been history. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm like you. I'm a neuro geek, and my background is uh, initially was in science. So I'm always fascinated by these studies that are being done and the way that things are being quantified and measured now when it used to be just a feeling. I mean, look at what's happened in physics, for example, and quantum yes. physics. Yeah, it's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And I, yeah, like a really simple example of the research they're doing to apply what does this mean for work, right? Mm -hmm. They studied. A, they, they took a symphony, right? It's a very precise, it's a peak performance environment. You don't get into a symphony by being a bad you know, violin player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Even in a smaller city, you know, there's a lot of people who want that job, right? And this was a, this was a very uh, well-known symphony. And they went to the symphony folks, and they, they, they had two conditions. And the first condition was they said, we want you to think about a time when you performed this piece and you felt like you that we really nailed it like you just you did a great job of playing it right so they you know think of something from the past right 
as a common peak performance strategy. Think, you know, think of something you did really well and let's try to replicate it. Right? And then the, the test condition or the other condition is, they said, they taught them like two minutes on mindfulness. And they said, basically, we want you to be in the present, just really listening to everybody who's playing in the hole. And we want you to listen for it. Now, this is not jazz. This is, you know, mm -hmm. classical music. Mm -hmm. But we want you to listen for an opportunity to play a note or come through a phrase unlike anything you've ever done before. In other words, be in the moment, right? And just look for an opportunity to bring something alive, unlike the this piece, some nuance that's different than anything you've ever done before with this piece, right? Mm -hmm. And then they recorded those two scenarios. Number one, think about your best performance in the past. And number two, the mindfulness condition, pay attention in this moment and look for an opportunity to do something really innovative, nuanced, but innovative, right? And then they played these recordings to lots and lots and lots of people. And it was overwhelming, the results, that the people who were listening in the moment and looking for an opportunity to be innovative and nuanced, um, that recording was vastly, vastly preferred to the one where they were thinking about something from the past. Oh, right? Really simple amazing. program design, but how many of us have to do things where there's a certain amount of repetition and we get bored and we lose our present time awareness, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so they're just finding really interesting, really nuanced ways to study things like that. And the results, like I said, are just unquestionable about what the differences are about those kinds of listening in the moment, paying attention to our peers, looking for the greater than myself way of doing work. And then how can I innovate? How can I try something new and different and then pay attention to how that goes? Right? So simple and yet so elegant. Well, what an amazing example and metaphor, because I think of classical music as, as probably the most proscribed kind of music where you're, it's very structured and very defined. And that analogy with the work that we do, even as entrepreneurs, the things that we do repeatedly and that start to lose their resonance, even if it initially had it, how you can really bring something in the moment to it that brings it alive again. That's a wonderful example. How many entrepreneurs are like, oh, darn, I got to make a newsletter again. Oh, another <laughs> newsletter? Yeah, prob oh, my Probably God. with more colorful yeah. language. Yeah. <laughs> Bring our awareness, right? If right. we pay attention and look for that opportunity to do something nuanced, right? If we've been writing about conscious business and suddenly we're writing about, you know, ballet, it, it's going to be like, what? <laughs> but maybe there's a way to say hey i went to the ballet you know i went to the ballet and i learned something there that really applies to entrepreneurship or whatever it is mm -hmm. what is that what is that being alive in this moment that i can look for and bring that to my work mm -hmm. right? unlike anything i've ever done before without throwing away all the history and all of the platform i built and all of the trust i've built and without just getting bored and kind of collapsing into non-consciousness right yeah, I, is this one of the ways that you feel that you impact your clients as a way that you bring yourself to your work in a particular way? One of the things I've been asking people is how, how they see their own impact in the work that they do. So I'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective on that for your own work. Yeah, one of the things I've done, Ursula, is... So when I reinvented myself, I wanted to, you know, bring these uh, this intersection, explore this intersection of mindfulness and emotional intelligence and the entrepreneurial world. And 
the way it most granularly made sense to step into that conversation is around marketing, right? That's what I'm best known for. I used to be the director of social media for Wisdom 2.0. Mm-hmm. And was part of the team that went, when I joined the team, there were 600 people at the conference. And a year later, there were 1,800 people at the conference. And um, we, we did some things in that, in that year to have that happen. Right? So that's, that's one of the things I'm known for. If there is a brand that has awareness or depth or emotional intelligence or mindfulness in the brand, um, and they're looking for some marketing help, my name started popping up a lot. Right. So that so I so I found myself in the beautifully hilarious position of being a marketing consultant <laughs> after having training from like Tony Shea and the chief technology officer of Twitter and the guy who Google who oversees Google Plus and the, you know getting to have a conversation with the former chief engineer of Facebook like these are the people who are really excited about Wisdom 2 and I was the director of social media so they just started like saying hey what do you know and how can I help <laughs> it's like Wow. Okay. Can I take a few notes? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> right. So that's how I got into marketing. Right? It's kind of hilarious, and yet it's really beautiful. One of the things I felt like I needed to do was to come up with uh, understanding of marketing that felt really good to me and would land well for my clients, who oftentimes had uh, an aversion to ego-based marketing or manipulation-based marketing, mm-hmm. right? Kind of push at the pain points and try to like push so hard that somebody will buy this thing that they might not otherwise buy, right? Mm-hmm. So as I was looking deeply at this, what I started to emerge is an understanding for me that marketing is just steady, loving presence in the marketplace. Mm. That's a great way to put it. That as I helped wisdom or depth or people who had intent of doing social impact sort of peel away. It was like an, it was like an antidote or a remedy for all the ego, for all of the push, for all of the grasping, for all of the hungry ghost, you would call it in Buddhism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and really just say, well, what if it was just about being present and being loving and doing that in a really steady, mindful kind of a way? What would happen if we chose to think about showing up in the marketplace in this activity called marketing from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And really amazing things started to happen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I feel like I've been really blessed to have a certain kind of impact for a certain kind of business, this more depth oriented, more wellness, more mindfulness oriented kind of business and giving people permission to step out. Um, One day Soren and I were going for a walk and he said to me, we were talking about marketing in the wisdom world and some of the ways that people were sometimes bringing marketing techniques from other sectors into the wisdom world that didn't feel good, Mm -hmm. at least to him and I. And he said to me, Paul, you can have depth or you can have urgency, but you can't have both. And to be a champion of what does it feel like to have presence-based marketing and what are some of the strategies that organizations who are doing that well that they're using and to reconfigure how we relate to people who are prospective clients for our businesses um, feels to me like a profound opportunity. There's so much wounding around marketing and sales. And to step into that place of wounding with a 
place of love and from a place of presence and demonstrating that there are businesses, some of my clients, some of them not. It doesn't really matter whether it's my client or not, but there are people who are thriving and yet not contributing to that wounding and that grasping and those ego-based right. ways of being in the world feels like a profound impact for me. Yeah, absolutely. And they're not following the, the conventional ways of here's what you're supposed to do, quote unquote, when it comes to marketing, which is that grasping approach you described. I, I really liked what you said about um, that phrase of being a steady, loving presence in the marketplace. Is that something that you go for in your own marketing of the, the work, the service that you offer? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't have to do a lot of formal marketing. Come on down and sign up for my, I have three <laughs> mastermind groups and they're almost always full or so. That, right. And I don't have to like send out a newsletter like says, oh my gosh, you know, sign up for these things that are amazing, right? Because I'm in the marketplace and I'm talking to people building relationships and introducing other people who are in this space of wisdom work and um, doing that on a daily basis. And so my name is known. And when somebody is in a place of like, hey, there's uh, up leveling in my business that wants to happen and, and I care about depth and I care about doing work that's mindful and is based on love and is having a lot of impact in the world, enough times my name is on a short list of people who they might want to consider that I don't have to do a lot of that sign up for my next amazing program and here's a discount code or it's all going to go away in 24 hours like, right. like they don't I don't have to do that yeah well that's great I uh one of the things that has really amazed me about what you do is this intersection and and you can speak to that uh, between your coaching practice and this wisdompreneur community that you've created. Could you share a little bit about that and how your how how the community has grown so quickly and uh, created this really amazing place for people to be who are looking at their business in that way that you describe? Sure. Yeah, when I was the director of. Wisdom 2.0. Soren created Wisdom 2.0. He was thinking, Ursula, of the somebody who worked in a tech company. He was thinking of a coder at Facebook, or a project manager at Google, or an accountant at Twitter. And he was thinking about, you know, it's long hours, very high productivity uh, requirements. Sometimes people, you know, sit at their computers all day, eat lunch at their computers, yeah, not right. take too many breaks. Their posture might not be so great. They're breathing after a day at the computer. I don't know what happens to your breathing after a day of a computer, <laughs> but I know what my breathing's like, right? <laughs> and he had all this background. He, he's also another you know, long-term meditator and very aware of the science. And he's like, I think this could really help the, to take pauses, to, to reconnect with the breath, to you know, selectively unplug from the computer, go for a short walk at lunch, and then come back. There's actually a lot of research that you're more productive if you take those breaks, things like that. So anyway, that's what he was excited about. He also wanted to talk about the deep understanding of what are we going with all this technology at a time when you can 3D print human limbs and human body parts or guns and bullets and, you know, like, how do we use this well? He really felt like there was a need. So that was his passion. And 
what he didn't expect is that a very significant percent, our estimates are at least 50% of people who were coming to the conference didn't work for Google or Facebook. They were people like you and me, and maybe perhaps a lot of the listeners. They were solopreneurs or entrepreneurs in teams of five or startups of 10, 15, who had some sort of wellness or impact-based offering. They were consultants for leadership um, you know, people, executive leadership coaches who used awareness-based practices in their work, or they had an app that brought mindfulness into some aspect of life, or had a wearable that they were excited about that was about making life better through consciousness technologies, and they didn't know where else to go to connect, right? So Soren created a, a, a brand for techies, but more than 50% of the people showing up were the wisdom entrepreneurs. And a couple of us were who were wisdom entrepreneurs. We were excited about that, and we kept talking to him. And he said, "We're so glad you're here, but that's you know this is a tech brand, and of course people can come, <laughs> and, but like it, it's not really you know we were like, hey, it's great that you have the co-founders of Twitter, and you know all these amazing the CEO of Aetna Insurance, who's an incredible mindfulness mm-hmm. animal. Aetna is a huge company. You know, right. Google is a huge company. Ford right. Motor Company is a huge company. What about us?" And he said, it's great you're here. And that's not what this is for. So being an entrepreneur, we talked to some other entrepreneurs. And, and in 2013, we did a breakout session for, we called it Wisdompreneurs. And um, we had 120 people there. And everybody was like, oh, my God, my tribe. My <laughs> right? people. <laughs> my people, exactly. So... We had 40 minutes, or maybe it was 45, I don't remember, and it had 120 people who mostly didn't know each other. It was very much community network. Turn to your neighbor, tell them a little bit about your business, how long have you been in business, what are some of your questions, raise your hand if you've been in business three years or five years or seven, you know, et cetera, right? It was like, who's in the room? And hi, and what are the big questions? And at the end of 45 minutes, people were so excited and so hungry to stay in touch. We just did a short survey, who's on, who's on Facebook, who's on Twitter, who's on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, where do we go to stay in touch? Because everybody or the large majority of the people in the room wanted to stay in touch. And mm-hmm. the majority of people were on Facebook. So we started a Facebook group called Wisdompreneurs. And the thing took on a life of its own. You know, a month after the conference, we had 500 people in the group. And at the end of that year, we had 3,000 members. And just today, we passed 14,000 members. We just did our first set of uh, offerings. Uh, at Wisdom 2, we did four offerings in four days, including our first day-long retreat. So we had 120 people there. So, you know, we're, we're, we're growing as a brand, and it's all been quite organic and really exciting. Yeah, that's great. I, I had to laugh when you were talking about Soren and his, his vision for Wisdom 2.0. The problem with this creation thing is you start to put it into the world, people start interacting with whatever you've created, and it just it morphs, it changes, it becomes something that you had no idea that this is where it was going. So I, uh, yeah, that's very much a a common experience, I think. And you, And you've taken that even further, which has been a huge support to uh, entrepreneurs who are, are really resonate with that. Um, yeah, yeah, one of the things I'm most excited about Ursula these days is so so we've mostly in that group 
connected with the wisdom printers, the, mm-hmm. the wisdom entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and and the conversation in that group. It was a beautiful conversation. It's mostly about up leveling the entrepreneurial skills of people who have wisdom, awareness, social impact, social entrepreneurship as their core values, which is beautiful. And the the help and the support and the generosity. You know, what's the best platform for my online course? Or, need a new Skype headset or what's the best way to take payments from countries that you know don't take PayPal you know beautiful beautiful granular conversations that I'm excited about but one of the things that's happening with entrepreneurs that I'm most excited about is we're now proactively going into the startup spaces Hmm. this is the work that is like really bringing me alive these days so we're partnering for instance next month we're doing an event here in New Mexico called the Mindful Business, I'm sorry, the New Mexico Mindful Business Intensive. We've got beautiful people like my friend Lee Zoltoff, who is the creator of MacGyver, the TV show. He just signed a $100 million movie with Lionsgate. They're bringing forth MacGyver into the, in a whole new generation. <laughs> the big <MacGyver>. screen, awesome. <laughs> yeah, really, and, and it's a CBS TV show, lots and lots of things. The whole brand MacGyver is coming back again in a beautiful way. And he's a he's a, a wisdom emotional intelligence guy. It's really fun. So we'll have people like that. But the thing that's really exciting to me is the day is happening at the most uh, best known incubator in New Mexico and one of the best in the Southwest. So suddenly we're not just the wisdom entrepreneurs, the people who sit at a cushion. Um, we're now going into the mainstream entrepreneurial incubators and accelerators and the, the places that are uh, mentoring and supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs who don't think of themselves as wisdom entrepreneurs, but mm-hmm. just think of themselves as entrepreneurs and say, kind of like Ming going to Google, we're doing that with the incubators and accelerators. Let us show you that. Can we have a conversation please about the data we have like 80 percent failure rate of businesses in the u.s in the first five years right it's crazy and if you look at the data the single biggest predictor there's a big research study done by an executive search company called talent smart and they did a huge study looking at 33 different factors in business your formal education your mentorship and your mentoring opportunities, your IQ, your um, the situation you grew up in, what class did you grow up in financially as a kid, all those different things, right? And the single biggest thing, their number said 58%. The single biggest factor about how much success you have in business was your emotional intelligence score, mm-hmm. 58%. That doesn't surprise and, me. Yeah, right. Here we are on this on this podcast, right? It doesn't surprise me that it doesn't surprise you. But <laughs> we have data that says, you know, and there's there's a, Google's data is a little higher than that. They're working with Daniel Goleman, sort of the grandfather of the sort of like getting emotional intelligence on the radar in a research based way. Google says it's a little higher than that. But if you look at the actual curriculums of an incubator or an accelerator, what percentage is going to their members who are starting businesses yeah. and saying, here's here's the importance of emotional intelligence and let us here's the importance of creating mindful cultures and let us help you do that with some 
very practical skills. Mm -hmm. And most incubators and accelerators, at least in the U.S., the percentage of their curriculum that's focused on emotional intelligence is zero. So right. we have 58 percent. <laughs> that's that's how important it is, according to the the data. And zero percent of our actual curriculums are actually teaching this stuff. We're entering right into that conversation, just like Ming did, you know, uh, eight or nine years ago at Google. Well, what a great way to really introduce this conversation right from the beginning. And I'm, I'm like you, I think that so many of these things can be discussed right from the start. It's not an add-on after you get a handle on the financial aspects and all the, the nuts and bolts of a business. It's, it's absolutely integral to how a business is created, the way that the entrepreneur is setting up an environment for themselves and for other people. So it's great to hear that you're doing work at that level because those are such dynamic spaces and people are so eager to learn and, and interested in creating something amazing. And for this to play a role in that is, is absolutely crucial, I think. So that's great to hear. Yeah. Is, is one of the things that you, you bring to this whole process is, is what you work on and the things that you feel are most important. Do you bring that in to your business? And I'm, I'm thinking of, um, I, I've been asking people on the podcast about how their values influence what they do. And I mean, you've touched on many aspects of that so far, but just to kind of crystallize it a little bit, could you share with us a little bit about how your business is a reflection of the beliefs and values that you hold most dear? Mm. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Ursula. It's a great question. In you read my bio, and in my in my bio, it talks about my love for the high mountains, for yoga, for deep centering breath. Right. I live in a solar adobe home. Right? I um, I burned about a quarter of a quart of wood this year. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, and you've had a snowy winter. And we've had a cold, snowy winter. Exactly. Um, Last year I burned a little bit less. So, so you know, I, I moved to New Mexico in 1993 and grew up 15 minutes down the road from Martha Stewart. And that reality of, you know, cigarette companies and oil companies and PepsiCo World Headquarters were 15 minutes down the road and Martha Stewart was 15 minutes down the road. And I moved to New Mexico, a place where relationships and art and soulfulness and building out of earth, it, it was such a big move. I, I didn't know how to navigate the world that I was born into. And I was looking for a place where relationships and soulfulness and depth and art and creativity and spirituality were the, um, th that was the water I was trying to figure out how to swim in. And I moved to this place. Thank God I, I, I did. It was, it was not easy decision, but I've been here since 1993. And that's what my life is. That's the foundation of my life, human relationships and soulfulness and wellness and being in nature and trying to find ways as humans to live in community on our planet in a way that's uh, sustainable and nurturing of each other and is less about material buying lots and lots and lots of material products and much more about having loving and interesting and dynamic experiences with each other that's my personal life it has been you know for as long as i've been an adult and i try to create the conditions for that model that 
support my clients in finding their own version of that in everything I do. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, it, I mean, it's a long way from from uh, the kind of way that the way that you describe Westchester to northern New Mexico and the very community oriented way that your career has evolved from mental health and counseling and all the way through into the business that you're doing now. So, um, yeah, it's great how that has been reflected in your own journey. I feel really blessed, Ursula. I've got such beautiful people in my life. Yeah, we, live, we live really well here. <laughs> that's <laughs> great. All, we're, we're, at, at, as a side note, some folks like my friend Lee, who now lives here, and uh, my friend Sean, who is the founder of something called Startup Santa Fe. There's a whole movement here in New Mexico to say, it's not the only place, but this is a really good place for wellness-based entrepreneurship, right? Mm -hmm. If if you want to like chase the dollars and like go try to like be the next Facebook and like you know rush to IPO of millions of dollars, like this isn't necessarily the best place for that. We can't out Silicon Valley, the Silicon Valley. <laughs> but if you want a place to start a business where there's soulfulness and there's there is an entrepreneurial culture and it's growing and it's getting more and more dynamic all the time, but you want to be in a place where you know I have an office in downtown Santa Fe and a little entrepreneurial center and 10 minutes from there you can be on a beautiful hike mm -hmm. right and right across the street actually within like a half a mile if you just draw a circle over from my office there's five yoga centers and they're all like world-class mm -hmm. right and there's great meditation and the food is incredible right um, if, if that's what you want a life where you start a business and you're supported but it's like a quarter of the cost of living in Silicon Valley or New York or London and you are in a community of people who care about wellness and not burning out their nervous systems in a rush to chase money this is a really good place well and you really speak to something that I think is important for us to consider when we're so engaged in the work that we're doing and feel so passionate about it it's easy to get overextended and to work a long hours and all of that so self-care is a really important aspect of our ability to have impact i believe and you mentioned a number of things yoga and hiking and other particular practices that you always do that really help you maintain your equilibrium and, and help you keep your energy at a level that you really allows you to do what you want to do? Mm, that's a great question. I'd, I'd love to hear your question of that too, like your version <laughs> of that. Um, there's, there's three for me. Uh, there's lots of them, but there's three in particular. One for me, Ursula, my go-to practice is vinyasa yoga, which is uh, flowing yoga. It's mm -hmm. very vigorous, but very syncing up movement with the breath. Um, there's something about a moving practice that's very aligned with who I am. Um, I've been meditating for years and uh, do do at least 20 minutes of yoga or and or meditation, some days both, um, almost every day. Today it was uh, 40 minutes of yoga. And then the third thing is really consciously building community, mm -hmm. having a very clear sense of like who my support network is and being in very regular contact with them. So those are those are my three practices. How about you? Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for inviting me to, to talk a bit about that. I, uh, I'm, I'm also a meditator and have been doing that for um, not as long as you have, but it's a daily practice that I do now. And 
uh, for me, being in the woods and, and hiking is a really important one. It's a huge energetic um, nurturer for me. And being in connection with people, it's uh, that's the third one that is important for me to reach out and, and be part of um, the, the connections that people have and, and participate in that. So... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really interesting. This whole idea of uh, impact of being, and even um, even to some extent, business. It's so outwardly focused, and I think the balance between the two of you as the entrepreneur as the center of your business, and um, that and what's happening and how you're engaging with the outer world, that world, that harmony is, is a really important thing. So, yeah. So thank you for sharing that about your own experience and what's important to you. Are, are there obstacles or problems or issues that you've run into in, in having the impact that you want to have? And I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that because <laughs> we're living and breathing, but could you share an example of one and how you were able to move through that and, and how, how that affected your, your, the way you looked at impact? Are there obstacles I haven't run into? <laughs> <laughs> um, Gosh, which one can I? All right, I'll, I'll, this might be helpful. So when I was launching my coaching business, I was up and running, and I was starting to do one-on-one, and it was coming along. I was, I was paying my bills, not not a whole lot. I was barely kind of getting by. I had a kid, and you know, I um, took. I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of how to run a coaching practice, and particularly some of the online, like how do you translate years and years and years of doing psychotherapy and community mental health center setting into coaching in particular on marketing and using online tools. So early on I launched, I, I, was, I was getting the hang of it one-on-one and I launched, uh, I got really excited about doing groups. I love doing groups, mm-hmm. the, that community support that you're talking about um, in, in small learning communities of entrepreneurs where there's a lot of attention both to the marketing strategies but also the emotional intelligence the inner journey of doing this work which brings up you know i I like to joke that entrepreneurship is the single greatest personal and spiritual development course that you never knew you signed (laughs) i absolutely agree (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna bring your stuff up right and where do you go as an entrepreneur to be able to say oh my gosh i'm freaking out right or i'm just on my edge or some you know client is pushing my buttons or somebody told me i'm the worst coach or my product sucks or whatever right where do you go to have those conversations so I got really excited about doing small groups, and I launched them beta. So I priced it really low. I was like, you know, all right, this, I'm never going to do this again, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm looking to fill one group, and it's like I'm learning how to do this. I've done a lot of groups in another kind of context. Mm-hmm. But I've not done I've, – I've gotten good one-on-one, but I want to learn how to do groups. So I'm going to learn – I'm going to launch this group, a group that I now charge – $350 a month for, I charged 50, it was $49.99 a month, right? It met every week and there was only six people in it, right? Well, I got, I got 17 people who signed up. I was trying to fill one group. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I got 17 people. I was so excited, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, 
Well, the thing was, I didn't know how to run. I didn't know how to manage that sort of level. I, I was confusing the different stories. Group number one was in a different place than group number two, which was in a different place than group number three. I didn't really look at where people were developmentally on their journey as entrepreneurs. They were all mixed in. So, you know, for four weeks, I had three groups. And then in a matter of 36 hours, I went from 17 people to three. Mm. Everybody else dropped out. <laughs> right? I was so embarrassed and so ashamed. I felt like the worst entrepreneur that had ever walked the face of planet Earth. Right? And what helped me get through it was my support system. Right? I had good people in my life that said, oh, dude, you just rushed it. right? You probably should have just stopped at one group and learned from there and then built it out and put everybody else in a waiting list and say, thank you so much. But you didn't. You didn't know to do that. You got excited. It's okay. You made a mistake. You tried to go too far, too fast. And you didn't have the experience or the systems in place to hold it well, right? So, like, be kind to yourself. Feel the feelings. It's okay to feel ashamed or embarrassed or guilty or whatever. Let the feelings be there and let's learn from it, right? And they help me unpack and they help me learn about how people who run multiple groups track it and how to use the software and how to get more comfortable with the kind of uh, facilitation that I'm used to doing and how you do that online, which was new for me and I felt awkward about it. And just help me use it as a learning experience as opposed to something to beat myself up. I mean, I had beat myself up moments, but but they helped me shift out of that and into more of like, let's use this to learn. And let's use this to see what you can put in place so that as your groups grow, you can actually sustain that. And now I have three groups, and that's normal, and they're full almost all the time, and I love doing them. And I have the systems in place, and I know how to like assess somebody and I have one group for early development entrepreneurs and one people are kind of in a mid-range and one pe one group for people I call thought leaders and those groups are you know thriving and they're they're a great source of sustainable income and my clients love them right but I didn't know how to do that this was like seven years ago so mm -hmm. it was that support to help me unpack and learn and go from a place of guilt and shame from making mistakes to a place of let's use it as a learning experience and let's build the skills that I didn't have when it failed that has made that over and over again. That's what's made the difference in my own. Well, thank you for sharing that, Paul. And, and it's, I so appreciate your vulnerability around that and your willingness to share that because it's, it's a great um, lesson and learning for uh, people listening that it's, it's not about, not making mistakes because we all do every single one of us and you've really taken that experience and you've obviously learned so much from it to the point where you have these groups and operating so successfully and and uh, constantly being filled so um, yeah that's a great process to share so I really appreciate that is there um, any insight or advice that you would share with another business owner who's asking themselves, how can I have the impact that I want to have? How can I positively affect my own environment and the larger world? It's mm, a great question, Ursula. One of my favorite readings these days is a some wisdom shared from the Hopi elders who live down in the Grand Canyon. And one of the line from there that just keeps it's become like a mantra for me is that the time of the lone wolf is over <laughs> the time of the lone wolf is over that was some of the wisdom from this great reading and i can share it with you after the 
call and you can share it with your listeners if you do that kind of thing. Like yeah, put it up. I'd love yeah. to. Thank you. Um, that the you'll hear some talk in the conscious business world that we're we're shifting from me to we, and you know one of our core values at Wisdompreneurs is community. There's no way my business would be where it is, and and most of the people you know Catherine Bell who does the Awakened Company here, the the people who are soaring with wisdom too, the people who are doing well and really having the kind of impact that they want. Um, when I, when Soren and I got to meet with Tony Shea in 2009, he kept saying over and over again, it's all, it's it's some research out of the best research business book the world has ever seen, from good to great. He kept talking about Type Five leadership, and if you're interested, what is he talking about? Go read the book um, called From Good to Great by Jim Collins. And the basic idea of a Type Five leader is they're aware of being part of something greater than themselves. Mm -hmm. And I see so many people who talk about impact but aren't having the impact they want, who are operating from a place of mostly we. Their network is small and they're trying to bring people, they're talking about community, they're trying to bring people into their community but it's still kind of being run as like from a me place, right? Like, like I'm the founder of this and it's my business and you're supposed to come into my business and be this great community underneath me. <laughs> and it doesn't have a deep sense of we-ness to it. And, and I think the people who are having a sense of the kind of real impact that makes your jaw drop and your heart open and your like soul just like sing those folks have an understanding of that the time of the lone wolf is over and sometimes we come to entrepreneurship because you know we're innovators and we're we like to walk the edges and all i love that about entrepreneurs i just love it and there is a way where sometimes we lose sight of the fact that to have the, the, the people, you know, the Martin Luther Kings of the world didn't do it by themselves. No. Right? They engaged whole communities and listened very, very, very deeply. And the capacity to let go of the lone wolf behavior feels to me just like it, it's almost impossible to have the impact that, that our souls are longing for without taking a deep, deep look there. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I, uh, it's such a powerful message and um, idea about our development, starting with, I mean, entrepreneurs are kind of stereotypically in the past the lone wolf. They're the person who goes off on their own and starts this business. And the exact opposite is really the truth of, of having a business. And you've really spoken so well to that and you've created that in your own business. So I, I want to thank you so much for everything that you've shared today in terms of your, your own journey and experience and how the, the all the way from your approach to marketing of being a steady loving presence in the marketplace through to uh, the work that you're doing with wisdompreneurs and um, and in your in your coaching practice is so community oriented I, I think it's going to be really amazing for people to start to think about what that means for their own businesses and uh, I, I know it's going to be inspiring so thank you so much for sharing that Paul I really appreciate it oh. Thanks for having me, Arsula, and again, what you're doing with the podcast and re-envisioning work and helping people think deeply about what they're doing with their work. It's, it's, it's an honor to be here, and I love what you're up to. 
Well, thank you. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? My website is paulzelizer.com and my email is info at paulzelizer. Okay, great. Well, thank you again, Paul. It's been great to, to have you here and to be in conversation with you. Oh, it, on my end as well, Ursula. It's been awesome. <laughs> so join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. And thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com. Um...